What happens when the two guys that base their entire podcast off random old stuff welcome an expert on team history? Oh, we're about to find out. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two against the wall. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Oh, Zach, how long have you and I been talking about that we need to have Jeremy on? Like years now, right? Hasn't it been years we've been trying to set this up? It's fitting because I was I was digging back into my archives and finding when Jeremy showed me around the the team archives and I discovered that happened in October of 2017 and I wrote a story about it like six weeks later every off season I tell Jeremy I want to write another version of that story and there's just I mean there's 125 years of history there's and there's so much there and and it's crazy because I'm reading through every little detail I included in the story and I'm scrolling through my pictures of all the items in the archives. I want to talk to Jeremy about all of them. And so this podcast might last three hours. <laughs> We're already told so, we can't do that. <laughs> some people will say that's really where your career took off too when that, when that article <laughs> came out. Just saying. It's true. <laughs> well, that man is Jeremy Fedor. He is a team historian. He knows everything there is to know about the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians and more Cleveland baseball history than just that as well. But Jeremy, I'm, I'm so happy to have you on. And first of all, as you just heard in the intro, our entire show is based off of the Bill Selby Grand Slam off of Mariana Rivera. Can you get any more random than that? So I have to ask you, where's that ball? Where's that memorabilia? Where's that bat? Where's any history of that moment? With that, that's, it's one of the most iconic memories that I have of this team. That's that's one of those things too. That I mean, you guys have talked to Bill. I've met him in passing, but I would yeah, I would go ask him because I imagine he would have maybe wanted that ball back because that was a, I mean, that was a significant grand slam, a very meaningful one, and I know a lot of guys, you know, can get those those baseballs back. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of those great, you know, what ifs of where this ball is, and he might have it. Some guys I talked to still have a lot of their stuff. Some guys didn't really care much for it, never got it back. So uh, you got me wondering now too. Did uh, or is there a fan out there listening to this that you know has it on their their you know uh, mantle in their basement? It it could be there. Bill could have it. Um, whether or not he saved that bat, who knows? But that's a. Uh, I don't think the hall has that ball. So. We certainly don't have it, and uh, home run balls are tricky, though, because again, once you go into the crowd, it's obviously authentication wasn't what it was then as it is now. So, yeah, I would go right to the source first, and then kind of uh, put out an APV and, and see if you could find it. Jeremy, how is how is that that process streamlined over the years? Because I know it used to be Rick Danburg, right? He would go into the stands. I remember a Rod's six hundredth home run when they were on A-Rod watch and he was, he was like on patrol that series and just waiting for the, for a home run to land in the stands and then he'd have to go negotiate and then you have to get the authentication and there's a whole process there. Like how does, how does that work now? I remember when, um, remember when Kipnis had his 
first major league hit. It was a walk-off single. And I think it was Torrey Hunter just scooped it up and threw it into the crowd. And then Sandy Alomar picked up on it and immediately darted over to the stands and was able to get the ball back. But those those moments are there's a lot of pressure there. That's, that's such a, a lot of examples and it's a loaded question. So I like that. Um, right. So like recently I'm trying to think of the last time we've needed to get something for ourselves or a player. Uh, I see first home runs are a big deal and it's still, you know, some of our, our ballpark ops people will go around and um, you know, you kind of go where the general area was and, and go get it and you'll negotiate. A lot of time fans are, are pretty cool with just exchanging for a, a few autograph uh, baseballs or a photo with the guy. Um, you know, there has been, I think it was something with Salvador Perez where he wasn't able to get the ball. Um, but I know Fran Mill a couple years ago hit a home run that set or tied the franchise record for like consecutive games that the club had hit a home run. And that was real easy to get. Um, you know, the person was just happy. They, I think they had a few kids and just wanted something for each kid. And um, you know, a lot of times it's such a, a it's not the A-Rod record. It's not a record that's, you know, but it's more sentimental to the team. And, uh, you know, I think people realize that. And, you know, if you could take one ball and exchange it for a uh, Jose Ramirez sign ball, I think a lot of people are pretty cool with that. But, you know, you mentioned these baseballs going into the crowd. And uh, we got real lucky during the win streak that, you know, all of our, our wins were really, uh, you know, either fly out or strike out. And we were able to get those last out balls. Um, but when you have Jay Bruce and hitting that double, um, that ball easily could have been lost, which would have been awful because that was the last ball in this streak. But uh, like Melky Cabrera was out in right field for the Royals and had the wherewithal to to go pick it up and and not flip it into the crowd. So we were able to to get that ball, and so we have 15 through 22, and those always make me you know nervous because when something like that's happening, you, you, I think the last out ball is such a significant um, you know baseball to get, but on the other end, too, when these guys are so used to routine, so when Ezreal Cabrera had his unassisted triple play, he ran back to the dugout, three outs, flipped into the crowd. Or when Kluber had his 18th strikeout, the 18th ended the inning. So when Perez was walking to the dugout, flipped into the crowd. And uh, once it's there, it's gone. Um, you know, we've had I've had people contact me saying, hey, I have this ball from this moment. And, you know, it's, it's tough to say with any, um, you know, uh, Definity that this is actually it. Um, you know, it goes back even to 1920. There's a supposed Ray Chapman death ball that's in uh, this sports museum in Florida. And the story is so wishy-washy. I mean, you throw a baseball. I mean, I have baseballs behind me. You know, you throw one of these in a bucket. And unless it's, you know, written on or or something like that, you instantly lose any idea of what it was. So um, it, this ball claims it was the ball that hit Chapman. But you know, if you really think about it, in 1920, no one knew Chapman was going to die the next day and become this significant, you know, part of, of baseball history. So why would this ball have been saved? And, and the story is so goofy and loopy, it's it's impossible to believe. So it's it's nice with the new authentics um, is that, you know, that sticker, I think, don't come off. If you ever try to rip one off, it, it makes a mess. Um, but you have that, you know, foolproof plan now. And during the COVID season, we were – lucky because you don't usually get home run balls that are authenticated. So um, there was no one in the stands. It was easy to go pick it up and say, this was the ball. We found it and uh, get those authenticated, but more or less. Yeah. Once it's in the crowd, it's just uh, unless someone from ballpark goes and gets it for a player and, 
you know, it's one of those things where I don't think those get stickered, but um, the player knows and, you know, the, we know that it's the ball. So um, it's a good process, though. You do also see guys will often, if it's the last out, they'll stick it in their back pocket or they'll they'll be mindful of it, too. Maybe that has just changed over the years of the players being asked about it. And I want to get your take on just some of the, the, the more favorite ones that you've accumulated over the years, maybe some obscure ones that people would be surprised or even noteworthy you even want. But in our text thread, as we were talking about where, where, what direction is, is this show going to go, Zach brought up the Rajay home run ball. And you said you dismissed it. You said, oh, that's solved. I don't think we knew that that was solved. So do we know where the Rajay Davis home run from Game 7 of the 2016 World Series is? So from that moment, we know that we have the jersey. Rajay kept his bat. And, you know, when he hits that home run, the ball hits off, I think it was the camera, and then it goes to Rajay running the bases. And for a while, it's like, I wonder what happened to that. Because, you know, even earlier in that postseason, David Ortiz's last hit was that double off of and Cody Allen. Where that ball ended up, I don't know. But David Ortiz's last hit, because I think he went, um, I don't think he had to hit the rest of the series. You know, where that ball went, I don't know. But um, Raja, yeah. So I ended up contacting in-house. I said, hey, do we have any, you know, different angles from there? And we didn't have anything that would really work. And I ended up going through MLB just because I kept thinking about it. And sure enough, um, there's there's a, a clip where you can see in the outfield when the ball bounces back in, uh, Zobris picks it up and chucks it into the crowd. So someone sitting in the uh, the bleachers that night has the ball somewhere um, I've never seen it, you know, up at auction or I've never seen it, um, you know, put out there on Twitter or, or any sort of, um, you know, social media. Like, hey, this is the ball. So, um, you know, with that and with the uh, Struble Cabrera triple play ball and with uh, Kluber's uh, 18th strikeout, those are floating around somewhere. I'm hoping whoever has those has made a note of what they are and, uh, you know, hasn't tossed them in a, a bucket for, for BP um and uh so that's it got thrown back it wasn't thrown back into uh you know the field of play uh to save by any means but i imagine if you were ben zobers at the moment you weren't really thinking about that you were uh you know your head was in a few other places well there's a 60 percent chance it was a cubs fan then i i i i remember just you know i don't black out but you know, that was like the loudest i think i've ever heard that ballpark and uh, that was, uh, I saw, it's still hard to watch that. I mean, you know, I, I, that moment is incredible, but at the same time, you know, it was probably the longest drive home of my, my life. Um, I remember trying to wait out traffic and, uh, it didn't work. It was, uh, wasn't thrilling after that. <laughs> so Jeremy, when you're, I know you're on the field a lot of times, or you'll be waiting for the game to end, especially if it's a close game to go help with social media or whatever needs to be coordinated right when a game ends. Is that, are you also like during the win streak, are you scrambling to grab something, maybe not on the field, but from the players as they're retreating to their locker before they go home for the night? Like what is, it seems like it would be a chaotic process just making sure you get whatever you need. Right. During the win streak, it was, um, you know, uh, Bart and Court were doing a lot of that for, for me because, again, they have, you know, they're around the guys a lot more than I am, so they have a better uh, rapport. I remember talking to uh, Lonnie Chisenhall when I was talking to some alumni, and we were talking about 
the win streak. And I remember watching one game, Lonnie caught the last out. And you see him pocket it in his back pocket. And he actually brought that back up when we were talking about trying to, uh, you know, keep that ball for himself. But he, you know, quickly realized after some uh, negotiations that it's, it was a team, um, you know, memento and we were able to get that. But yeah, a lot of times stuff just needs to go through the, um, you know, like authentication stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of times there, there isn't that one thing that is really going to, you know, capture the moment. So um, I'm trying to be the last time that anything was like, like opening day, if I can get anything close to the first pitch ball, I like to get just to have that, um, you know, uh, line of cards, that's not going anywhere. If I want the line of card to kind of commemorate the game, but you know, things like, you know, if there was a, a Jersey, that I, I wanted or, or something like that, that's usually taken care of beforehand. Um, but that's really, you know, few and far between. Um, so like we're able to get, you know, the John Adams patch. So I have a Jersey with uh, the John Adams patch just to kind of commemorate that, but you kind of have to make plans ahead of time. Now, if a situation arises where, you know, Naquin had the inside the park walk off or, um, you know, Jay Bruce had the, the hit when, um, they get home and, and everyone tears their jersey apart. I'm, I've been able to get lucky with those because they literally can't wear that the next day because the jersey's missing buttons or the neck is ripped. And uh, I've been fortunate to get that um, those objects or artifacts uh, later on um, once they get authenticated and you know it goes through the, the proper channels. Um, I know we have um, like I know Naylor had a, a jersey that he got ripped off him and. Uh, you know, I was kicking the tires on that, but he ended up wanting to keep it and, and he gave it to a family member, which, you know, again, that's, that's perfectly part of the, uh, the season, you know, that, that happens and no, no sweat off my back. I mean, it's, uh, it's cool that someone's going to appreciate it, you know, and, uh, so a lot of that stuff's handled earlier or more advanced. And again, obviously with the win streak, we knew, Hey, this is going on. The hall of fame is going to want some stuff. Um, you know, we're going to want some stuff and, uh, obviously, that's that's the team thing versus like Kluber's uh, 18 strikeouts. You know, obviously that's a, a single player um, situation. So he kept his jersey because you know how many times you're going to strike out 18 uh, batters in a game. So you know he kept that. He let us borrow it for a little bit to put on display in our Feller exhibit for a while because he tied Bob's record, which was the same day we opened our Feller exhibit. So that was one of the more like surreal experiences, I guess, through all of this. Um, but we were able to get, I think it was like the 14th strikeout. And I think we kept the lineup card. So, and the season going in, you know, votes first game as new manager. I mean, we haven't had a new manager since 2013. So trying to get some stuff that commemorates that while, you know, also understanding what he might want too. I mean, I don't, some guys like collecting stuff, some guys don't. And, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. You mentioned the walk-off home run. The inside the Parker by Naquin. <laughs> My mind immediately went to where's the blade of grass that Upton slipped on in the outfield. But I know you can't quite get to that level, but there has to be some obscure stuff. Something that, yeah, we know about the ball. We know about a bat, even a lineup card or a jersey. But there has to be something that people would be surprised <laughs> that the team still owns that is part of a moment, but maybe isn't the first thing that comes to mind. During the playoff run in 16, when we got to the World Series, um, I think it's Boston College where the old Braves field used to be. They ended up, it's, and they still use the area. They ended up sending us like a jar of dirt from the field. So I have that still. I think that's kind of fun. Um, other random stuff. Uh, when Hosey had the uh, 
the walk-off hit and that gum bucket got put on his head, you know, they walked in and went back to the dugout and was just sitting there. So I said, Hey, we're not, we're just going to toss that. Right. And, you know, I think they were, so I'm like, let me just take it. So we have the gum bucket that Hosey wore on his head. And uh, I think that was a, you know, pretty unique um, artifact that, you know, ties to a, a, an exciting moment. And that's what you try to do though. I mean, after a while, you can only have so many baseballs that it's like, you know, you, you want to diversify what you have. Lineup cards are still cool, but you know, what else from that moment? So like when we clinch, you know, playoff spots, getting uh, champagne bottles and goggles just to commemorate that year. Um, what else do we have? That's weird. Um, I don't know what else. I mean, there's random sign. I mean, I get random stuff, but if it's like too obscure and doesn't make sense, then it's like, it's not really worth saving. I mean, I have a few, like the pitching rubber, I think from last year and those things are ginormous. Um, have the home plate that was last used at Municipal Stadium brought over to Progressive Field for a game or then Jacobs Field. Um, uh, random bats. We have Sant- I mean, not that it's weird. Santana's bat from the first win streak. It hit the home run to put us ahead. Uh, Ike Luplo hit the home run to um, set the franchise record for most home runs in the season. We have that bat. Um, anything else that's I mean, a few rosin bags, but um how about some of the older yeah. stuff that's not game used like my one of my favorite things was like the bob feller candy bar wrapper or the telegram jackie robinson <laughs> sent to bob feller when they were going into the hall of fame yeah the feller stuff is cool and it's such a unique like cornerstone of you know what we have uh you know the cardinals have a stand usual you know cornerstone of their collection for us when i came in is when the the feller museum in van meter was you know, on its way out, Bob had been gone for a couple of years and, you know, we're, we're getting more and more distant to people that actually remember Bob playing. Um, a lot of people still remember Bob for the ambassador that he was. Um, but Van Meter, Iowa is really a small town off the, the highway in Iowa and the museum just wasn't doing well without Bob. So we brought all that stuff back. I remember going through stuff. It was me, um, Bobby D and Bob's son, Steve. And uh, actually, one of my favorite stories, we checked into the hotel and Bob's son, Steve, looks just like Bob. And when he checked in and said, you know, Steve Feller, and I thought like, the person behind the counter would be like, oh, like Bob Feller, but they didn't put it together. And I was like, oh, all right. Um, but there was a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah, we found a, like a bunch of telegrams when Bob got inducted to the Hall of Fame. And Bob saved a lot of cool items. I wish he would have saved more jerseys, but uh, we don't have any of his actual game-worn ones. There are a few that pop up at auction. Um but, you know, these telegrams, ones from Jackie Robinson, Lou Boudreau, Bill Beck, um, you know, it's cool to see that he had saved these, his correspondence with the Hall of Fame saying, hey, you're you're inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, one of his Navy jackets we were able to find, uh, the, uh, this 1940 All-American, like it's it's a large dot frame document. And at first I didn't look at it too hard, but when I was, you know, packing it up, you know, sure enough, you know, Babe Ruth's signature is up top. Um, there's... Two baseballs we have from that collection that I think are, are really unique. One is his gopher ball, which the story behind that, you know, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig were barnstorming. Bob wanted money to buy a baseball so he could get signed by them. And he ended up, um, you know, there was a, a bounty on gopher hides. So he was able to smoke out all these gophers from the family farm and cash in on the hide and bought a baseball and it's signed by them. But the ball's so badly faded uh, you can still sort of read, I think, Babe Ruth's signature on there, but 
the fact that it was in Bob's collection, he has the story to it. I mean, I have no doubt that that's the ball. Now, the other ball that's really unique is it's signed by a bunch of guys, you know, early 30s, mid 30s. And as the story goes, when Bob signed with with uh, Cy Slapnicka, he got the dollar you know, contract, that, that handwritten contract, and an autographed baseball. Now, I don't know if that's the particular baseball, but it would make sense. I remember talking to his son saying, do you have any idea about this? And he wasn't quite sure, but, you know, there's there's a good chance it is, but it's good, there's a good chance it's not. And that's kind of the game you play with, with history, too, is, you know, it's in Bob's collection. Now, could someone have mailed it to him? Could he have found it somewhere else? Sure, we, we don't have Bob to ask anymore. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where when you display it, you say, you know, a ball like this or similar, we don't know. And kind of, you know, because it, it's difficult to say with any certainty, um, you know, that this is the ball. And I think as fans and as people who like history, you, you want that certainty because it, it makes it that much, you know, cooler. And, sure. uh, you know, you know, that was the ball that was there. But um, so trying to, to uh, figure that stuff out. But, you know, we've been really lucky to get a lot of this, um, you know, Bob Feller stuff. I don't want to say stuff because that's not the right word, but artifacts and um, really paint the picture of who Bob was. You mentioned the candy bar wrappers. I mean, this dude had a candy bar the year after his debut. And that that's that's pretty, uh, you know, that, that that's not Bob. You know, I don't know what is to have that that confidence in yourself to say, you know, I'm good enough that I deserve a candy bar. And uh enough he had that he had some ginger ale and then as it went off he took off he was on on everything and that's such a cool part of baseball history it's just that pop culture um aspect of everything well i think the cool thing about any sort of memorabilia baseball in particular for me is a ball a, a, a bat it's all just it's just stuff until you you learn the story behind it it could be any i mean who, anybody just seeing a baseball sitting anywhere it could just be one that you bought at the store but it's the story that goes along with it and a reason to tell the story. And so I'm wondering, you're like someone like Zach says, hey, I want to come see the archive. And you're thinking to yourself, what's that one thing I got to show off, right? Like when your friends come over, I got my man cave. I got to show my friend that one thing for you. What's that one thing that you're proudest to be able to show off? And what's the story that goes with it? Uh, yeah, I think the highest level thing, and, and Zach would know about this because we drove it along with John Adams' drum to Cooperstown, is is that bat that um, you know Babe Ruth leaned on in that famous picture. That was Bob's bat. It had been given to Babe. And long story short of the chain of custody, <clears throat> it eventually comes back to Bob. And again, that's the last bat that you know a fully uniformed Babe Ruth held in his hands. And again, there's a famous you know prize-winning photo from that. So to be able to, you know, hold that, you know, very carefully and very, um, you know, in the correct manner and know that this is, um, you know, the bat that not only Bob Feller held, but Babe Ruth is, uh, th that's never lost on me and how unique and how special that is. Because again, you know, when, when I kick it down the road, you know, hopefully a long time from now, like, okay, I, I go on, but people still talk about Babe Ruth, you know, I mean, it's every day. There's probably, you know, mentions on shows or writing or, or whatnot. And, you know, after reading a few books about him, <clears throat> not that I already didn't know, but it, it, it just creates this appreciation for what he was able to achieve in his life and, and the effect he had on, on American culture and, and the way we look at baseball today. So, um, you know, that's my favorite, but also 
you know, I, I think the Naquin jersey is still one of my favorites too, just because that's such a significant moment in that season because people, and, and that's what I like about these artifacts is it brings you back to a moment you remember. And people remember where they were when Giambi hit that home run against the White Sox or where they were when Naquin hit that uh, inside the park home run or Rajay. I mean, there's a reason why we're still talking about this. And, um, you know, it brings you back to those high fives you were giving to the stranger next to you. And that's that's the kind of the beauty of baseball is, you know, you can go to a game with 13 friends or no friends. But when something like that happens, you know, it doesn't matter who's around you. You're celebrating, you're, you're remembering, you're, you're jumping up and down. And I think that's kind of the essence of, you know, being a, a human, too, is just celebrating those those moments. Um, but that that's such a, 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 an iconic and, and very few guys, you know, get moments like that in their career. You know, I mean, Rajay's career was was super long and, you know, people remember that home run. But do people remember that, you know, a few weeks earlier, he hit for the reverse cycle, you know, uh, against Toronto. And we have that jersey as well. Um, so, like, that's that's really neat, too. But the moments that define, you know, we have the first pitch ball um, when we open Jacobs Field from uh, Martinez to Sandy. And, like, that's significant, too, just because, again, fans remember, you know, well, fans of, of you know, my age now, I guess it's getting, you know, further away from it, but remember where they were. We're all getting old, ballpark. Jeremy. We're well, we'll be one old. of the, as, as this keeps going, we're going to be one of the top 10 oldest ballparks in baseball before you know it. I mean, it's, it's wild to think about, but uh, it's getting there. So yeah, just those, those, those artifacts that put you back, you know, where you were. And that's why I think what I do, I, I try not to, ever take it for granted because there's such a connection uh, to fans and to the game that, you know, it, it's, it's really neat and, and trying to be able to, to save the stuff as it happens. And uh, fortunately we've been doing pretty well, I think. This episode is brought to you by visit Williamsburg in Williamsburg, Virginia. There's never too much of a good thing, whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So first of all, it was hilarious when we get to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. You know, the main reason we were there was for John Adams Drum. And we bring it inside. It's it's this huge thing. And, you know, it's not something that the people at the Hall of Fame are used to having delivered to them. So that's getting all the attention. We're talking to these guys about the history of it. They're mentioning other music-related items in the Hall of Fame. And I'm standing there holding Babe Ruth's bat. And I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's this, which is like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and it was just a footnote at that moment. Um, Jeremy, the, the I'm glad you brought up the Naquin inside the park home run because the other cool thing like you the 90s teams obviously get a lot of attention and Cleveland's history dates back I mean the charter member of the American League in 1901 and there's so much history that 
because it was so long ago, I mean, no one has, there's nobody still alive who's like, oh yeah, I remember Shoeless Joe Jackson in a Cleveland uniform. So it, the coolest thing and, and why I treasure you as a resource and a history nut is I can say, hey, Naquin just hit an inside the park home, walk-off home run that ever happened and you can go find the newspaper articles. Do you remember the, the guy's name who had done it almost a, exactly 100 years earlier? Uh, yeah, I think it was Brago Roth who was actually Roth. Naquin in Shoeless Joe's trade too. So I mean, what a I love cool, that. I, yeah, exactly. Like when, when stuff like that help are, happens and you can, uh. yeah. Who in Brago, Brago Roth's family ever thought that he would have stories written about him a hundred years later. So it's just, it's, it's so cool. And that I wanted to sort of transition to ask you about, like, I know you're like, you know, everything there is to know about Tris speaker and Nap Lajaway and, what does it say? I, I I don't know that the public really understands how much history and how many like just essential players in baseball's history have come through Cleveland. I mean, you could start with Cy Young and, and Shoeless Joe and, and Lajaway and Speaker and all of those people. And just does that sort of get lost by the wayside? And, and is do you feel like it's part of your responsibility almost to to highlight those players, too? Yeah, you know, and I, I love Cy Young too because he he's born and raised, you know, where my wife is from, down in Tuscarawas County, he's from uh, Newcomerstown, or not quite Newcomerstown, but you know, he was he was Feller before Feller to an extent, where he is this local farm boy coming up, pitching well, and and does what he does, and you know, obviously creates all these records that will never be broken. But after his playing days, he still you know came up to Cleveland and was an ambassador and and hung out and. You know, there's there's the biggest award, one of the biggest awards in the sport, named after a guy that played for Cleveland, but both you know um, pre and post uh, AL team, and you know was around people at the time. You know, knew him and um, and you know you talk about Speaker and Lajoy, and you know what? Obviously, I I get geeked out by all this, so like I want to know that, and you're trying to find that balance of uh of you know focusing. You know, obviously our focus is on the current team and, and, and what, you know, guys like Hosey and, and Bieber and, and Bybee and stuff are doing, but, you know, getting the history out there because it's, you go to a game, you're going to see Hosey jerseys. You're going to see Bieber jerseys, but you're also going to see Feller jerseys, Dobie. I'm so happy we were able to get that, um, you know, that, that Ilfi painting outside of the ballpark with, uh, with Satchel Page on there too, because again, not to say Satchel gets lost in the shuffle because people know Satchel Page, but his time in Cleveland was, you know, I don't even think it cumulative was a full season and um, just getting that out there and, and pointing people in these directions because yeah, yes. You know, we have the two world series titles. Yes. It's not 27. I wish it was. <laughs> I wish we had, you know, I think any Cleveland fan does. And, you know, there's the heartbreak and, you know, once you, you get past that, you know, there's, there's so much history. I know, you know, in the seventies and eighties, things weren't always, the best on the the playing field, but there's still stuff you can dig up from that. And um, if it wasn't for, you know, the, the Yankees of the forties and fifties, like who knows, you know, what's, what's uh, our, our history looks like, or even, um, you know, 1908 when we finished a half game behind the tigers for the world series. And, you know, that, that is one aspect of history is world series titles and championships. And, but there's also so much more to, to, to research. And that's why you have groups like Sabre that, you know, they have groups that are still looking at the Black Sox stuff. They have groups that look at, you know, different aspects of ballparks. Um, and uh, 
even it's it's always surprising to me to to know people I've talked to people and and they don't realize what League Park is or where that is. So I get really excited when someone you know well, what's League Park and I'm able to tell them like you can go to the same mound Cy Young pitched at. You can go to the same you know batter's box that Babe Ruth hit his 500th home run. Like we have this resource in Cleveland that is the Polo Grounds have been built over. Ebbets Field's been built over. Um, the, the Tiger Stadium, they've done similar to what's happened at League Park. So you have that there. Um, but baseball is, is there's just so much more to it that you can dig into that. You know, I have a buddy that's a big ticket collector. I have, um, you know, various, there's so much interest you can get into. And, you know, for me, I, I love the, the pre-1901 history. Baseball has been played in Cleveland, organized since right after the Civil War. So it, it's part of our, our lifeblood. And, you know, I don't expect everyone to to get super amped up about everything I do, but you know, we're celebrating our Black History Month, and today we have a graphic with Luke Easter, and what a fascinating guy. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, hampered by injuries, but he had the longest home run at uh, Municipal Stadium, and there was a chair that they had pulled out of the stands that had hit 477 feet away, and it had the painting on top. It said, you know, this ball, Luke Easter's home run hit here, and. Um, Again, a guy that that came back after his playing career and was was a member of the Cleveland community. There's the Luke Easter Ballpark named after him, or field over on the east side, and um, you know, there's that's the thing when you have over a hundred odd years of history is there's so many guys that you know it, it, it's it's like when you see on Twitter or something like lost history, like well, you know, are things they don't teach you in school, and it, it, a lot of it's like well, you know, you can't possibly know everything about everything. I mean, there's always something new to learn. And, and of course, guys are going to get, you know, cast by the wayside because, you know, we're in the then and now. And I, I just like, um, you know, I love Larry Doby. I love Bob Feller. I love the nineties. And there's just, there's a lot more to this, this club's history. Um, whether it's the, the Lajways or the speakers or, you know, uh, Ray Chapman, we've talked about him. And unfortunately for Ray, he gets, you know, boiled down to being the, the last guy that, you know, died from an on-field incident, but a fascinating person before that. I mean, just absolutely beloved in the city of Cleveland. Um, you know, just absolute tragedy as well. Everything that happened, you know, leading into that event and, and after. And, um, you know, there's that. There's the stories of, of Ray Caldwell being struck by lightning and still finishing the game. And if you're ever by the third base side of the ballpark, we've been trying to find ways to incorporate our history more. And, um, yeah, I had these these plaques made, and one of them tells the story of Caldwell being struck by lightning. You know, getting up and finishing the game, and uh, uh, there's a story of Jack Graney, who uh, we just got into the Hall of Fame for the Ford Frick Award, first player turned broadcaster. And you know, I think people are really into being the first. The Reds always are we're the first professional team. Well, we're the first team to wear uniform numbers on our sleeves. We're the first, you know, player turned broadcaster. We were, uh, you know, Jack Greeny had this dog named Larry that used to come on the field and, and jump off, you know, it would do like leapfrog. He'd do all these tricks. And uh, he was like an unofficial team mascot. He was in team photos. And uh, um, so like these, these little tidbits, I think are, are super fun. And, you know, does it, does it, is it earth shattering? No, but it's, baseball and that's what what this is at the end of the day is it's, it's an escape it's a it's a, a, a recreation and you know it's it, i've just that's why i like history because hey you know what happens so you're not nervous about you know what's going to be the result of this game or anything like that i'm super i'm a pretty nervous guy here seeing me in the press box I, I pace a little bit um 
but you know the outcome, you know the result, so it can't hurt you as much. I mean, 16 still hurts, and, and 97 still hurts, and 95 still hurts, and 54 still hurts, and uh, 1908 still hurts. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know where I was going with this tangent, so uh, um, ask me. <laughs> That's why we had you on. <laughs> I guess I, we Can didn't know imagine? where it was going to go. I know this. I know in baseball, if you're out of the game, you're out of the game. But I'm just imagining like you sent like a, a football broadcast, like at the Super Bowl, they send it down to Tracy Wolfson. And she says, well, Jim, we saw Ray Caldwell get struck by lightning earlier. He's questionable to return. <laughs> it's just what well, a different time. And what's wild about that, too, is Chapman also got like a lot of the guys around Caldwell got got knocked to the ground. And Chapman was one of them. So talk about the odds of A being struck by lightning. And then a few weeks later being Chapman who gets hit in the head and like that's it's the odds of that are just out of this world, like bizarre. And uh, yeah. And the fact that this guy just got up because it was, I think it came to like the button on their hats, you know, and I think the story in the paper, uh, Steve O'Neill's catching comes up and it's like, dude, you all right or whatever. After everyone kind of regained consciousness and it's like that blankety blank lightnings, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were a different breed, man. They weren't, they weren't playing around. Yeah, I don't want to hear about any player being electrifying. Sorry, we've we've already established the baseline on that. Jeremy, you know, I think I guess you can make this case with all history that it kind of is is three segments. There's the really far past where you've heard these names for your entire life. For for, for Cleveland, you look up and you see the names that are retired, the numbers up there, and so those ones are always going to be in your brain. And '95 fell into that category finally, where all of those names have been put into the Hall of Fame, and and you've recognized those. And then you have the recent history, of course. We're going to remember everything from 2016 or even 2013, that win streak at the end of the year to vault them into the the playoffs and Terry Francona's first year, all the way up till now. So that's all fresh in our minds. But now in Cleveland, there's this also stretch that is after that 90s era team, and it's it's not quite as recent as 2013 and, and, and beyond, but there were some really great players. And I, are you eager to finally get into a place where you can start to bring names like CeCe Sabathia back and Victor Martinez back and Grady Sizemore, names that are no longer kind of in at the forefront of our minds and not quite so far back that they're they're like this iconic figure but now you're into this this territory where you can finally maybe shed light back on those teams that obviously remember 20 or 2007 and that didn't result in in the outcome that everyone wanted but there were still some really great players part of those teams yeah you know and and i know our alumni department you know works on that and and every guy is kind of in a, a different place you know in their lives and I know we've had CC back a few times because he's done some wonderful stuff in the community um, with his, his charity and, and getting kids playing baseball. Um, and then some of these guys, you know, just end up uh, of taking jobs. I know Grady just got a job with the White Sox. Um, so trying to find, you know, guys that can make the time to come out. And, you know, like you said, there's that, that era of guys that we've, we've been, I think we're working on, on getting into the ballpark, but, you know, obviously, later on, you know, the, the Cody Allen's and stuff, we've been able, they've been coming around a little bit. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that's exciting because again, everyone's got a story and I ended up talking to go further back from 1975. His name was Eric Rach and he was in Detroit, did a phone interview with him. He played one season, but he was a, you know, a high draft pick played for Frank Robinson. And, you know, I, I, I hope that these guys that, you know, not everyone's going to have a 13 year career, but the guys that, you might have played, you know, five games or, or 15 years, but you everyone's got a story. And I think there's always something to add. And 
I know I've been bothering Zach to write the story about um, there's one gentleman. Uh, that, 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 stop, oh, stop, stop. Oh, 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 okay. I am too much. I stopped. There was never this one gentleman. That's but, my um, white whale. That's, and that's a tease. I don't want it out there that's in the universe. All right. It's I not out the universe. But even whoever, if there was a hypothetical player, his story, there's a story. Everyone's got stories. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's that's that's what I like doing. So for every, you know, CC Sabathia that's going to end up in the Hall of Fame, there's obviously a lot of guys that, that won't, but you know, some of these guys are, are important to Cleveland. And that's why I think a, a team hall of fame is, is fun because you know, the Carlos Bayergas and the Charlie Naggies and the guys that aren't going to make it to Cooperstown, but they have their, their spot in Cleveland that fans will, will never forget. And, you know, will be recognized for what they were able to achieve in the city. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's, I love, I just love my position being able to, you know, talk to these guys and, you know, hear what people have to say. And, uh, it's, it's really, uh, one of the more unique aspects, I suppose. Well, sort of along those lines, you've been having chats. I know people have followed them on, on YouTube. The, the, the guardians have their YouTube channel where you've been putting up chats with old the alumni that have come in of those stories and just talk about just how fun that's been for yourself. But I'm more curious who has presented something that maybe you weren't expecting or who just, who's been the most enjoyable chat that you've had so far of all those old players that have come back and, and you've now featured on YouTube. Yeah. I, I've, I've loved, we, I always get anxious about like, Oh, who's coming this year? Who like, I, cause you got to research, you got to, you figure all this stuff out. And oh, like um, you don't already know everything. I don't buy it. Oh, I kick my thing. Oh geez. Um, yeah, no, that's how excited I, you are. I, well, and that's why like, I want to do my best to kind of ask questions. I think that these guys normally don't get like, you know, I talked to Rajay and, and, and yeah, we talked about 2016, but I want to know, like talking to John Farrell or talking to some of these other guys, like, you know, what was it like to be a, a draft pick in the eighties? How did that work? Did someone just call you? It wasn't on TV. Like they just say you got drafted. Did you know you're being scouted? And some guys have more, you know, information about that. Some don't. Um, but even like, uh, I was talking to, um, I think it was Shuey and he was telling me that he, like, he was going to go to NC state. And when he went to go sign, they're like, just kidding. We gave your scholarship away. And it's like, Oh, you know, and, um, you find these stories like Corey Snyder, when he was, um, drafted, he came through Cleveland, um, with team USA and they're able to play at the old stadium and, you know, getting these guys, um, you know, impressions about, what was it like to play at the old stadium? Cause we're even further away from that now. And I'm old enough to vaguely remember bits and pieces, but you know, that thing was a cave and you know, I, I think it was Doug Jones in passing or someone I talked to mentioned something um, about like, you know, you play in front of 60,000 one day and the next day it'd be 2000. You could hear conversations on both sides and like getting these stories that aren't printed in the paper um, talking to Scott Bales in the eighties, when you watch major league, which is the best baseball movie ever made, um, they do that flyover towards the end. And, you know, they, they interrupted a game. They said, you know, between innings, we're going to, you know, film some of this movie. And I can't imagine doing that now, but you know, I think Scott said that they were supposed to go into the dugout. They kind of waited in the bullpen. And when it flew over, they tried to peek out and wave up. And, uh, I thought that was, was fascinating. <laughs> um, but a lot of these guys just, uh, you know, coming through the system and, and how, you know, they got the, the news they were going to be called up. Um, and a lot of times it's just, you know, nowadays there's, you'll see stuff on, on online of guys getting their call-ups and, 
and whatnot. But um, a lot of these guys just pack up and go. Uh, Cody mentioned Cody Allen. Fascinating, you know, great storyteller. His parents, I think it was his parents, were like rushing in to the ballpark as soon as he was like on the mound. They were running late. And I think Derek Lowe had started and didn't go well for him. So it was like a fourth or fifth inning. And what's cool with the um, the guys that there's film, a lot of the 80s stuff, it's hard to find film, but the relatively newer guys, they can, you know, you can pull up the highlights and, and show them. And I think that helps jog memories more. And it, it's good for snippets on, on social. Um, you know, like Cody mentioned, like feeling like he was a thousand feet away from the mound and, and, you know, showing them the strikeouts. And a lot of these guys will remember those first strikeouts or the first, you know, appearances. Um, with Shuey, he mentioned during his uh, debut, Albert Bell made a nice sliding catch. And it looks like he kind of got his cleat stuck under him, but he said, you know, went in the dugout and Eric Plunk told him, he's like, dude, that's, that's special. Cause, cause Albert doesn't do that for everyone. And you know, that realization that, um, you know, that, that, that happened or just talking to these guys as a history guy, I said, dude, you got to play in Fenway or you got to play in Wrigley. Like, was that surreal? I mean, I know not all, every player cares about history. I get it. Um, but I mean, I would love the opportunity to play in a major league game at the same ballpark as Tris Speaker or, or Ty Cobb. And, uh, you know, I think baseball more than any other sport, there's that, that standing on the shoulders of, of giants aspect of it, where, you know, you, you are going places where, you know, significant names have, have come through. So trying to get those stories of, you know, what was it like? What was, what was traveling like in the eighties? You know, I mean, how much different, a lot of these guys, are are coming off of uh off being on the on, on teams to talk to to Chris Chambliss and I did a Zoom with him. Awesome, awesome interview. Just you know, talking to him about what it was like to to play in his era. And obviously he's he's got his his Yankees part of his career, but he was a rookie of the year for us. Um talking to um you know those guys that I wish I would have had, you know, you you see all these these eras that you miss guys talking to. I would have loved to have talked to Mel Harder. Um, there's a really great baseball book called the glory of their times where this, this gentleman went around interviewing players and I need to get more on it because when guys, you know, pass on their stories are gone and trying to, you know, technology nowadays, I mean, you give a phone, you can, whether it's your grandmother or a baseball player, you can capture these stories. That's my, my different soapbox about preserving oral history is we have the technology. It's, it's easy to, to get this stuff, but there's so many questions I would have loved to ask Larry Doby or Lou Boudreau or Tris Speaker or, or uh, you know, luckily for us, Bob did a lot of interviews. So there's, there's that stuff. And then there's the guys that, you know, Ray Caldwell, what was it like to be struck by lightning, dude, you know? <laughs> you, you've said that Cleveland has the oldest team hall of fame. Well, How is it? That's, that's one of my years. Yeah. And in so, terms of the archives, I mean, you had, You've been in different places. You guys were at League Park. You guys were at Municipal Stadium. How, what are you missing? Has stuff gotten lost so, that you've never been able to recover? So I have my, yeah, my Indiana Jones hat. So back in 51, the idea came up that, hey, we should do a, a team hall of fame. And like, it's head spinning how quickly they, they churn this. They, they flew in Earl Averill from Washington they actually invited Shoeless Joe in town, but he um he got into the Hall of Fame. Fans still had a soft spot for him, and um they invited him. He had just had some heart problems earlier, so he wasn't able to make it and ended up dying later that year. Uh, but they they had this team Hall of Fame with this this 
a great inaugural class and had a lot of the guys come in. And then 52, this one, the museum uh, made its debut. And I've only been able to find a handful of photos and, and I found a handful of articles that describe what they had in this museum. It was kind of like a wishbone. Um, and I've talked to people that remember it as well, but it was between sections 11 and 12 of, of the old ballpark. And according to, to some things I've read, they had one of Knapp's bats from his, you know, batting title year. They claimed, or they said they had a Wombies triple play ball from the 20 World Series. Um, I think they had Wombies glove too. I've seen that up at auction. So one of the things that's hard is how many of these things were, you know, given to the museum at the time or loaned or, you know, that's obviously almost, we're going to be closer to a hundred years than not. Um, You know, what was the story behind all these, you know, they have uh, the photos I have that show these mannequins with, with the uh, uniforms. Now by the seventies, the team wasn't, you know, finishing contending for the, for the pennant. So, um, you know, it's a lot of, fans i think genuinely know that was kind of a, a down period in our history this stuff ended up being boxed up and um during that time yeah things started like walking away or were maybe given back to who they belonged to if they weren't the teams and um you know during the t- uh, 2016 season we started getting a lot of questions about the the pennant that they put up in 49 after winning in 48 because when they got knocked out of the playoff contention in 49 bill back being the showman that he was buried and had this big funeral and um you know players come out had this big tombstone said you know 1949 champs or 48 whatever i forget which one it was referring to which hey i can't imagine trying to do that nowadays what <laughs> what a um that yeah um but i always just thought that they left the the casket they put it in the ground and but then ended up doing some more research and sure enough Vec had to dig that up like the next day and return the casket because he had just rented it and uh, the company wanted it back. And then the the pennant itself went into storage because we do have a photo of it being pulled out in the seventies when Vec comes back to town for uh you know a, 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 a celebration. And from where it happened, like from there to now, where it went, my guess is it probably got you know tossed when we moved uh, from Municipal to Progressive Field if it was still even there or. You know, the old ballpark water leaking. I'm sure something happened to it. And something of that size would just be so difficult to, you know, keep in in a, a situation where it doesn't maybe deteriorate. So someone might be out there that has it in their basement. I don't know. That would take up a lot of room. I know, you know, my wife would not be thrilled with me if I had a you know 40 foot long pennant sitting down there. But <laughs> On the flip side, though, again, some of the stuff got moved. We we were able we have some stuff I think that used to be on display, and fortunately for us, there there were people you know in the background you know saying we we can't get rid of this, and some of those items were were contracts, and we have Larry Doby's nineteen forty seven contract that he signed with Bill Vec to be break the AL color barrier, and something of that nature is just so significant that like yeah I don't put prices on things, but like. Yeah, you know, in the back of my head, it's like, all right, this is, you know, significant and um, uh, more so than just the price. I'm not even saying that. I just what that represents, not only to our history, but the baseball history. And I think I've asked around. I don't know if Jackie's contract with the Dodgers still exists. It might. I, I, I don't know. Um, but we know where Larry's is. We have Larry's. And, um, you know, it's one of the more, 
you know, like powerful documents we have because there's even this handwritten part on it. It says like, if this player is still with the team, you know, two weeks or whatever it is later, he will get X, Y, and Z. So, I mean, that, all that uncertainty that, that went into bringing, bringing Larry in, but then, you know, flash forward, we're doing the uh, Frank Robinson statue and, you know, that famous him giving the lineup card and where that lineup card is. I don't know. We, the family doesn't have it. The hall doesn't have it. You know, we don't have it. Like, Where'd that line of card go? Is anyone thinking, uh, you know, like save that? Maybe it got saved and just got lost. I don't know. So that's one of those, those, you know, where is that? Where's the ball Frank hit and that, that home run. Um, so there's, there's been things where people have said, we need to save this. Then there's just been, you know, periods where, um, you know, these things have, have disappeared and sometimes, you know, you'll look in the hall, will have it. Sometimes, you know, you'll see it at auction or you'll see uh, someone in a private collection that has it. But, um, you know, I have my, my kind of list of things that I would love to know if they a, still exist and B if they're, if they're anywhere. And uh, that's kind of a, uh, you know, part of the gig, not, not, you know, the, the top part, but I, I keep my, my ear to the ground and see what's out there. Well, along those lines, what's the one thing? And I'm not talking about something that's just wild. Like, yeah, there's some holy grail out there that you would love to have, but you know it's it's not even possible. Among the things that maybe you think could be out there, what's if you could just cash it in one genie wish, what would it be? It's either the 1921 World's Champions jerseys because those are just awesome. Those are my favorite, you know, jerseys we've ever worn, um, or one of the the Chapman with the the um, sleeve um, stripe, I, not stripe, the band. Anything. I'm a sucker for that 1920 season, just because of. I mean, that whole era of when they get Tris Speaker to World War One to 1920 is it's a movie. I mean, the way it it all shakes down, uh, you know, all these near misses, and then what that that 20 season and, and what happened and and what they were able to do. I think is is fascinating and i saw those those jerseys i think would just be phenomenal to know if they if there's any that exist anywhere because you know sometimes these things do exist i know the hall of fame has the cardinals did it too they were the world's champion and when we were in cooperstown we got to see a lageway jersey from 1910 so it's feasible these things exist but you know are they in an attic or are they in a you know a barn somewhere you watch enough you know american pickers and stuff like it's this stuff floating around somewhere um, photographs of Lee park. I'd love to know, you know, if, if people have photographs in their family collections of games at league park, because there's, there's really not as many photos as I think there should be of that ballpark. And uh, that I would like to, to know more, you know, figure out. Um, but yeah, I think those jerseys, um, even 90 stuff, you know, I, I, I don't know where a lot of that stuff went um I, I know a lot of that stuff is a better chance of surviving than than the earlier stuff uh the lineup card that frank robinson gave out that would have been a, a really neat part of history if it, that exists mm. um uh, the ceiling tile that jason grimsley moved so he could drop down and <laughs> I mean, where that that <laughs> went yeah where where that is um i i even like the last out ball from 95 that, that Tommy caught, you know, to clinch the, the first playoff appearance since 54. I mean, that's, that's significant too. So who knows? Yeah. There's, there's probably stuff I'm forgetting too, but uh, there's, there's so much out there that uh, 
I'd love to get my hands on that way we can hopefully put it on display and uh, you know get people excited about our history. Forget random jersey sightings, by the way. If if fans were smart, they would get one of those wool Nap Lajoie jerseys from nineteen twelve or whatever and wear that to a game and it keeps them warm in April. I have a replica of the 1921 uh, and I was wearing it the other day. My son was hitting baseballs in the basement and I put it on. It's not, it's not fun. It was a little scratchy and uh, uh, yeah, not the greatest thing, but <laughs> I got my cool little hat. Not this one, but the other one that everyone kind of gave me the business because the brim's kind of small, but Ebbets Field does a, actually, that's another thing I want is a, a one of the, the cardigans those guys wore in that period, the, the warm up cardigans. Oh, I'm a cardigan guy, so to know that, you know, one of those actual historic ones. And I know the Hall of Fame doesn't have Cleveland, but they have other teams. And Ebbets Field sells one, but it's a little too above my my price range. But, oh, those are beautiful. Absolutely stunning cardigans. Jeremy, I know you got to get out of moisture wicking? <laughs> Gosh, God. They, they get moisture. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's just like a thousand pounds out on the field. All right, uh, real quick before we get out of here, Jeremy, we appreciate this has been a lot of fun. We got to do this again at some point, just because we only had an hour, and there's the twenty more hours worth of stories. I'm sure we could really get to the bottom of. We've talked a lot about physical things. What about like we're, we're talking about memories? A lot of the times, it's listening to Hammy or even listening to Herb's score. Uh, the you remember the calls, right? What about archiving that sort of thing? The now that's become digital, what do you have of just old broadcasts, whether it's television, whether it's radio? What responsibility does the team feel to making sure that stuff is archived? I know in the day of YouTube, now you can go on there and, and find a lot of games that are recent, but I'm talking about maybe just obscure, even going back to 95. You know, what does the team have from that? So what's cool is that MLB is a great resource. So when I'm doing my podcast, and I, I'll come up, I'll listen to the podcast and see what, you know, the player mentions, he'll say, um, John Farrell mentioned a fight he had when we played the Red Sox that, that Clemens threw in on someone. I found out when that was. And, um, you know, I, I give this list to MLB and I say, hey, do we have X, Y, and Z? And they'll send me back whatever I'd ask if they have it. So um, obviously nowadays, you know, I could pull up every single foul tip Hosey hit last year real quick. I'm mean, not real quick. That would take forever. But um, everything that's like 90s and on is is – more or less saved. Um, I think they have some sort of big, big collection somewhere and they're usually really good at, at turning it back at a, uh, a good clip for me. So where it gets dicey is yeah, the, the 60s, 70s, even the eighties, you know, I talked to Brooke Jacoby and then Corey Snyder and, and those guys and it's, it's hit and miss on what they have. So if they're big games, you know, opening day, you can usually get something from, but if it's like a May game and, you know, against the twins at municipal stadium, like odds are they might not have it. So the MLB does a great job at, at saving that stuff and making it accessible. And you can, you know, the radio calls too gets kind of dicey if they have the earlier stuff, but um, for the most part, you know, everything since I've started is, is so easily accessible and um, available to, you know, when we need it and they're a great resource. So any clip you see that I, I use in my little videos I make, um, that's all from, from MLB helping me out and, and getting me this stuff. Well, I remember you sent me at one point last year, audio after the 48 parade or the, the yeah, World so that Series stuff is during the parade. It's been, 
been lucky. So for some reason, and again, it's just all happenstance. For some reason, we have Jack Graney's last broadcast. We have someone sent us, it was a, like a, I guess back in the day, they had these vinyl, vinyl, but like a record you could record. And someone recorded, um, I think it was part of the last game. And then the players coming back from the 48 series. And it's just this broadcaster, like with five seconds with each guy, you know, Bob Feller, how do you feel? It feels great. And then he's like off. And uh, yeah, I think Zach used it in his story. And again, that was just someone saying, Hey, I have this, you know, can you guys use it? Because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I think, and I'm getting to it. And I mean, I'm not a collector by any means. I, I, but you know, sometimes it's like, well, what am I going to do with this? You know, I have this house and it's filling up with stuff and you know, the it's stuff is cool. I, I, I get that, but like getting it out to where it's going to make the biggest, you know, impact. And someone again was, was sitting on that and they said, I've had my joy with it. Like, you guys can have it. And sure enough, this is a needle in a haystack that, that came our way. And, you know, that might be the only recording that exists of that, but someone somewhere, it's like when they found that footage from the 1919 world series in a, in a, a, a ditch in Alaska, because it was so cold, it preserved it that they were able to, you know, turn it up or they found Bing Crosby's, you know, copy of the, the Pirates Get World Series that was hidden in an archive. So I don't say hidden. Nothing's hidden. It's just misplaced or not known at the time. <laughs> Unless it's in a hole or like in a, you know, somewhere that's that's hidden. But uh, otherwise, so this, that's why, again, you never give up hope that this stuff is still out there. That someone has this, you know, diamond in the rough. Well, Jeremy, we appreciate the time. We know you got to get out of here real quick. Just kind of promote what you got going on with the alumni and anything else that uh, where fans are eager to hear some of these stories, where can they find them? Yeah. So most of my stuff comes out on Twitter at J letter J Fedor. And um, I'm putting out as we go slowly. I'm not the quickest video editor in the world, but I'm doing my, my best. Um, I, I have a few, quite a few more alumni interviews. And when we went to the hall of fame, um, you know, I, I was able to do these little small videos when we walked through. So I'm getting those out as we go along. And um, if I come across something that I think is cool, I'll genuinely like just get it out there. And I love when people like interact and say, oh, this is, you know, it's, it's really, um, you know, a, a great way of getting our history out there. And, and then the I put the full podcast, you can listen to an audio version, but on Spotify, where we get your podcast or YouTube. I've been putting the videos up there, which include the highlights. And again, I'm, I'm getting better at editing. So it's really a fun, you know, outside of my comfort zone um, thing I've been doing. And uh, I love when, you know, the story matches up with the highlight because it's, it's a cool way of, you know, yes, everyone likes staring at me on these, these podcasts, but uh, <laughs> you know, I've changed it up. I feel like Ken Burns a little bit. Um, and, and who knows? I mean, I would love to get more into these, these stories about our history using, because again, we have our phones, we have these, these, this ability. I, I don't know if I'll be, if I'll be like, you know, creating my own TikTok or anything. I got to figure that out, but, um, I'd like to try to, you know, get our history out there. Cause like you guys said, you know, I think is it's, if you're a fan of this club, you know, I, I think you'd want to know yes about Bob Feller and, and those guys, but also about, you know, the Luke Easters or the, you know, the Paul Shoeys or, uh, or whomever. I mean, there's just so many stories. And, uh, so at Jay Fedor and, um, my Instagram is not baseball related. So don't bother following me there. That's all family stuff. And, uh, I, I take suggestions. If anybody wants to know more about anything and hit me up. 
We appreciate the time, Jeremy. Thanks so much. Be sure to check out that stuff. And of course, thank you for being here, whether you're listening on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, those that support the show at patreon.com slash selbyisgodcast. Until next week, we'll see Spring everyone training. soon. <laughs> that was quick. Where did the off-season go? Jeremy, we, we, we mean it. We'll do this again soon, I promise. Sounds good. See ya.